Welcome to the Life Melbourne podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. You know, I love the freshness and I love the energy that a new year brings. Um, I love having a blank calendar and filling out what my year is going to look like. Some of you might be excited that maybe, just maybe, your team might win a flag this year. And I'm not looking at anyone, Kane, at all. But you have another chance. Um, I love New Year's resolutions. I'm a big goal person. I like to know where I'm going and how I'm going to get there. Is there anyone else here that is into New Year's resolutions? Anybody broken them already? <laughs> hey, I've got a couple to show you that are sometimes maybe the most popular ones. So take a look at the screen. How much does it cost to buy a membership that I never use? Has anybody done that before? And the next one, New Year's resolution. Stop procrastinating. Stop procrastinating. What's in the fridge? (laughs) That's definitely one of mine. New Year's resolution. Stay looking this good. That's, That's probably Dean's. And next one. If only he made goals all of the time instead of just at the beginning of the year. <laughs> um, I do love New Year's resolutions. And often what we find when we really get to the heart and bottom of what our New Year's resolutions is that it's, it's something that we choose to make a change in our life to bring a happier version of ourselves or a happier life for those that are around us and our family. And I think it's an incredible, unique time and experience for us all to stop, take a moment, pause, and think about any changes that we want to make in our year ahead um, to bring us into this place of um, happiness, I guess you'd say. And so that's what I'm actually going to talk about. But I'm going to talk to you about it from the place of what Jesus teaches. Because often the world will tell us, you're only going to be happy if you reach this, this and this, if you're healthier, thinner, smarter, richer. But actually, Jesus teaches, he completely flips that and he teaches, actually, the truth to happiness is you're only going to be happy if you love God and you love others and if that's how you outwork your life. So I'm excited to bring this to you. I am ready for a happy 2022 and I love that God promises that we can be happy despite what is going on around us. So let's just close our eyes. Let's just pray real quick. God, I thank you for your presence that is here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our heart, that you would meet us exactly where we are, God, that your word would be clear. God, that we would, in, that we would be a strong, strengthened, encouraged people that go out and love the world and show people what you look like in Jesus' name. Amen. So interestingly, how to be happy is one of the most searched questions in Google. How to be happy or where can I find happiness is searched around 24 million times a month. And that actually doubled over the last two years, which we can understand given um, what the world has gone through with lockdowns and all these kinds of things. And the truth is that we all seek happiness in our lives. We may not be at home Googling, 
online at home is now Googling, how can I be happy? Let's see if Kinder's message lines up with what Google tells me. Um, we may not openly Google it, but we really seek to find it with how we spend our time and live our lives. Um, I know that my family and I, around 10 years ago, we travelled a long way to go to the happiest place on earth. Has anybody been to the happiest place on earth? Disneyland. And it was cool. Um, but I remember one day looking around thinking, this place is full of lines and bad coffee. I don't know <laughs> if I would call this place the happiest place on earth. But we do. We travel. We look for happiness to be fulfilled within our relationships within our friendships. We look for happiness to have the next latest thing, the next gadget, the suburb that we live in. We're forever thinking, how can I just make my life that bit happier? And the trouble with this is our happiness fades when we're relying on something to bring us happiness and not looking at the external perspective that God has given us, which is a happiness that never, ever fades. And you know, these suggestions or thoughts that we have about happiness, this was actually brought in as a theory, I guess you'd say, in 350 BC by Aristotle. And he was a Greek philosopher and he brought in this theory that we are to make our own happiness happen that we are in charge of our life and the meaning of life is to be happy and that we can make it happen for ourselves. So this became kind of like a mainstream thing. Um, you know, I'm going to search for my happiness and this is how I'm going to get it. And if I don't get it, then I'm not happy anymore. And the crazy thing is we all believe it 2,000 years later and some of us are still trying to find that kind of happiness in our Western culture. But the trouble with that is and the danger of that is is that when we don't look at a biblical perspective of happiness and we take on this worldly Aristotle um, theory of happiness, we can find ourselves forever trying to search for something that cannot be filled by anything except for Jesus and what he's placed in our lives. So I am excited to unpack what Jesus teaches about happy and I really pray and I really believe that if we listen and we take this on, and not just now, but consider it throughout our week as well, that this is something that can change and will change your life. It certainly has changed mine, and it's something that we continue to become. And I'm going to be looking at this through Jesus's first Sermon on the Mount, which is the Beatitudes. Some of you actually may have heard of the Beatitudes. You may not know what that means, and just in case you don't, I just want to make it super clear. Beatitudes, it's a Latin word for beautus, and it means happy. So another way that this um, whole message that Jesus is giving, it could be called happiness or how to find happy. And I think that the word was used for this reason. Jesus had just started his ministry. It's his very first sermon, and he's coming to a place of people that are in search of happiness. His people had been um, abused. They had been in... Um, uh, what's the word when you're uh, in slavery, all those kinds of things. And you can imagine that they're just at a place where they're saying, how will I ever be happy? And Jesus comes along with this um, confrontation to this is how you're going to get happiness. This is the way that I've designed and created you to live your life. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 5. So... Matthew 5, starting verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed 
or happy are those in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when we look at the word blessed in this context, it's actually interesting to know that Jesus isn't talking about an abundant life of material riches. Um, that he's talking about something way more profound and so much better than that. The word blessed in this context is actually a Hebrew word, and it's called asha. And I just want you to know that I probably only know two Greek words and two Hebrew words, and I've already shown you those. (laughs) I feel like I'm a phony up here because I'm like, Greek and Hebrew, there's only two. Um, So it's asha, and it's happiness because of good choices and following right direction. How incredible is that? God is telling us in this moment, you can have a happy life if you follow my instruction. And here it is, I'm laying it out for you. And along with that, it's tagged with a promise at the end of it, it. blessed are you when, and this is what happens. So you do your part, and I'm gonna do my part, and here we have a changed life and a changed world. And I think that's so incredible. So Jesus is talking about Asha blessing, true happiness that is a result of making good choices. We have a responsibility here to know the instruction of God and to follow it. We see this Asha happiness also in Proverbs. It says, where there is no understanding of the word of the Lord, people do whatever they want. But happy, blessed, Asha is he who keeps the law. And the law here is God's instruction. God is saying, Here is some virtues that I'm giving you to live your best life. I want to make it super clear that this is coming from a place where God desires you to have your best life, your happiest life. His heart when he created you was to have a full and whole life lacking nothing. That is the heart behind these Beatitudes. It's not a list that we have to tick off in any way. And um, what we also see, it's super countercultural. Jesus just comes in and turns things upside down, which I really love. So we're going to unpack the Beatitudes a little bit. I'm going to go through them really quick. Um, but I pray that they're going to be a real blessing to you. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So another way of saying this is blessed are those who um, lower themselves and make more room for God in their lives. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you say to God, I cannot do this life without you. (laughs) I am so desperate for you. And I love that Jesus gave this one first because I think if we get this right, the rest flows so much better. It's knowing that our, our complete dependence is on him to make the best out of our lives and to fulfill everything that he has for us. Us living in the West, I think sometimes we just have too much choice and we, have, um, we just have too much ability to make life work for ourselves that sometimes we actually don't know what it means to be desperate. And that's where it becomes a choice. God, I am desperate for you, no matter what it is that's in my life. And actually what flows from our life because of this choice shows and it matters. 
And there's a story that often comes to my mind when I'm making decisions um, in Genesis, and it's a story of Esau and Jacob, their twin brothers. And it goes like this. It's in Genesis 25, 29 to 34. But just a little bit of backstory. At that time, when children were born, the firstborn would always inherit the entire family wealth, and they would, um, they would also inherit an inheritance from God, which was his promises and his blessings in their life. So that was for the firstborn. The secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn, however many children they had, they just got nothing. <laughs> so the firstborn got it all, and the second and third and fourth all got nothing. Um, so here we find in Genesis 25, 29, 34, that there's a twin called Esau or Esau, He comes back from a day of hunting. He's the firstborn, remember? Everyone say firstborn. And then his brother Jacob is a secondborn. Now he wants the inheritance because he wants the promises of God. He knows the significance of it. So we'll pop that scripture up on the screen. Genesis 25. So once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright, your inheritance. Look, I'm about to die, said Esau. What good is a birthright to me? That sounds like a spoiled firstborn to me, for sure. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. Esau sells his birthright, his family wealth, his promises from God for a bowl of stew. (laughs) Can you believe it? A bowl of stew. And I don't know, but I sometimes wonder if we can sometimes sell our promise and our inheritance of a blessed life for something so temporal and something that is just such an instant gratification in the moment. And I know that something that can stop us from doing this is having a posture of, God, I need you. God, would you um, direct my plans and my choices in every single moment? What's significant about this as well is that we see throughout the Bible that Esau had no descendants named, whereas Jacob is the line to Jesus. And so it's such a significant thought to know that where we plan our direction and our path is going to either lead to nowhere or it's going to lead to Jesus. And who have we got in our path following with us? Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. This is a strange one. You're so happy when you're sad. This is so confusing. It makes me remember the, the face of my husband when I say, do I look good in this? He's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say right now. <laughs> but it is, right? Happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted. But I have to tell you that this is actually one of my most favourite um, happy are you when. Because what it's talking about is it's talking about a couple of things, but one of them is the feeling of loss of potential that we can all feel in our lives. When life doesn't actually work out the way that we thought it would, when there's been an accident and life has turned into a completely different um, direction, when there is sickness, when there is dysfunction, when there is addiction in our lives, and we have this sense of mourning what could have potentially been. It's also talking about how we as people of God mourn what could have been on the earth, but it's not like that. 
It's when we're mourning that there's evil, that we're mourning that there's, this is not God's best for people's lives. It's mourning for your friends and your family when you know the best that God has for them, but they're not walking in it. It's this mourning. And I've been asked so many times, you know, from, from friends, from family, Kina, how can your God let bad things happen to good people? Has anyone else had that question? It's a question that's asked so much. And I don't have the answer for it. But what I do is I say, let's change the question. Let's ask, how do people who are walking with God walk through bad situations? And it changes the whole perspective. Because Jesus tells us we're going to have troubles and tribulations, but that he is going to bring us comfort in those times. In fact, 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Praise be to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and God, who comforts us in our troubles. Now, Jesus comforts us, get the next part of the scripture, so that we can comfort others in the name of the Lord. You know, it's... One thing for God to be comforting us, and that's his heart to comfort us. But he comforts us, not so we stay comforted. He comforts us and empowers us so that we can bring comfort to other people around us. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, meekness isn't exactly something that we all want to have on our resume. I'm Keena and I'm meek. Um, hashtag meekness is not weakness. What we look at in Scripture, though, when we look at the definition biblically, is that, I'm going to read it for word for word what it says, meekness is a strength under control. It's an attitude of heart where a person is willing to submit, is willing to submit to the will of someone else for the betterment of others. How incredible. That's Jesus on the cross right there. Strength in control, willing to give up what I could have, what would make me happy. Actually, I'll give that up so I can make life better for other people. How amazing is that? Um, Jesus is called meek in 11.29. Moses is called meek in Numbers 12.3. And let me remind us that Moses was a deliverer. In fact, Moses moved the human rights movement forward some scholars say more than it's ever been moved forward in such a fast pace ever before. He brought value and worth and protection to people that had no value and worth and no protection. And you know what the promise is when we are meek? The promise is for they will inherit the earth. You see, when we live a submitted meek life, we inherit God's best for this earth and it's outworked through our lives. And that's exactly what Moses did. He was a meek person, he was a humble person, and because of that, he submitted what maybe he wanted to do, maybe a goat farmer, I don't know, but he submitted what he wanted to do to allow God to outwork his best for earth here now through his life. And I want to encourage us today that Jesus was stirring the hearts of people on that mountain of Mount, Mount I forget the name, but he was stirring their hearts to say, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like when you hear my instruction, when you put these things in place and then I come along and you see incredible changes on the earth. We are partnered to see the move of God on this earth. Incredible. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And there's two parts 
to this. Righteousness is that we know that we're made right because of the death and Jesus paying our sins. The second one is that we pursue a right way of living, that we pursue everything that God has for us, that we trust the wisdom of God, that we trust the wisdom of Jesus and listen and obey his instruction. And the word, word filled, guys, get this, it means filled. <laughs> it actually means filled. And actually, oftentimes in the Hebrew um, language, they will have pictures that go with words. And so a picture that you would think of when they were hearing this is a banquet table of a feast. And maybe for us, that was Christmas. We eat, we eat, we eat, we eat until we're so full, we cannot stand the sight of food. Your aunt comes along and tries to shove some more into your mouth and you're just like, there's no way I am completely filled. And what this is saying is a happier those, happier you with an everlasting happiness. Get this, it's an everlasting happiness. Happier you when you know your place with God, when you choose right living, then you are completely satisfied. And guess what? Satisfied people don't go looking for other things to eat. Let's just talk about being unsatisfied for a minute because I would think there are a lot of unsatisfied people in the world right now. Unsatisfied people are definitely not happy people. (laughs) Unsatisfied people are people that continue to try and find their happy in something else. Sometimes it's something that will maybe numb what they're walking through. You know, I have had friends that have started off with having just that one drink a week just to take the numbness off just to fill that empty void. And when that's not working anymore, it turns into two, it turns into three, it turns into four. Before you know it, there's a substance addiction problem. I've seen that happen so many times. And I'm not talking about people that don't know God. That happens as well, but it's with people that know God too. And that's coming from a place of not being satisfied. And if you're not feeling satisfied, can I encourage you, perhaps you're not full. And if you're not full, perhaps you need to spend some more time in the presence of God, in the Word of God, in knowing the instruction and choosing right living. Because I can tell you this, God doesn't lie. And he says that we are happy when we choose to live the right way and we are full. And when that happens, we know that we are in the path that God is creating for us. We can continue to walk strong. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And this is mercy, being compassionate, going out of our way to help those that can't help us back. Not treating people as we think that they deserve to be treated, but actually treating people as they are worth in the eyes of God. Jesus does this. He's the perfect example of everything, but this in particular, I love a time that um, Scripture shows his mercy, and it's when Jesus was heading to the cross and he loses every single one of his disciples. So every person that he thought was there to support him and bring him strength actually disappears. That's a pretty tough place to be. I mean, he has every right to be mad. That's it, you're not my disciples, go on, whatever. But I love that scripture shows us when he rose again, there's a scripture in John 21, 9. And it's disciples are out fishing. They're not sure what's happened to Jesus. They know that he's dead. And so Jesus comes to the beach where they're fishing, and this is what they see. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals, and there was fish on it and some bread. And Jesus says to them, come have breakfast with me. So Jesus has just been left abandoned by the people closest to him. And what is his response? I'll cook you breakfast. Breakfast. 
And that's mercy right there for you. He treated them not as they thought that he thought they, they deserved or what we would think they deserved, but he treated them as their worth. What he did was he cooked them breakfast, but he not only cooked them breakfast, he grabbed them and said, hey, don't forget what God has for your life. He put them back on direction, back on path. And what an incredible example of us putting people back on path, back in direction towards God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Scripture says that man looks at the outward appearance, but that God looks at the inside. Acts 13, 22 says, God said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and who will do my will. And I just want to, I guess, make clear in this moment that these beatitudes that I'm talking about, they're not a checklist. It's in no way that God's saying you have to have all these in order and then we're all good. It's got nothing to do with your salvation. That's yours. This is talking about being happy. (laughs) This is talking about having a happy life, a happiness that is not taken by what's going on around you, the circumstance, a happiness that's not taken away from the change of laws, a happiness that's not taken away from you when there is a difficult situation in your family, a happiness that is not taken away from you when there is challenge in your life, but a happiness that stays. And so it's a heart connection with Jesus that he's after the pure in heart, they see God. And an example of this that I've heard before is of a man who's driving down the freeway and he's doing the speed limit like I know we all do. The reason he's doing the speed limit is because there's a police car in the rear view mirror. So he's doing the speed limit. He's, he's complying with the law because he has to, because he doesn't want to get a fine. Compared to the man who's driving on the other side, who's doing the speed limit, but he's doing it because he has his baby in the back. And he has a heart connection. He doesn't want the baby to get hurt. So he's doing the right thing because it's a heart response. And that's what Jesus wants from us, a heart response. Not just doing it because of law, because the Bible says I have to, but a heart response. I'm going to finish up with this one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And the Hebrew meaning of the word peace here, oh, I do know another Hebrew meaning, oh, is shalom. Everybody say shalom. There's something satisfying about saying shalom. And it's actually a greeting um, within Hebrew culture still today. But shalom, peace, it's so much more than that. Shalom is a feeling of contentment, completeness, completeness wholeness, well-being and harmony no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what the situation or circumstance that we have, that Jesus has made us shalom, peace. But not only has he given us shalom, peace, happy are the shalom makers. And this is incredible that we have the ability to be shalom makers in every moment of our life. Every day we have the ability to be shalom makers. Let me remind you, we have the ability to bring into a conversation, to bring into a situation, to bring into our family, our workplace, our community. We have the ability to bring contentment, completeness, wholeness, harmony, no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what the circumstances we're walking into, no matter what we're shalom makers. You know, I asked Dean, he's a pretty peaceful guy. 
And I said, you've been married to me nearly 20 years, so you've got the peacemaking mastered. Do you have a story that I could use to try and bring this about? And he's like, so what is it? And I'm like, it's talking about bringing peace into your home. Even if, even if you're right, you choose shalom. Even if you're right, you choose to make peace rather than be right. I didn't know he would have such a long list. Didn't need to think about it. Oh, when this happens and this happens and when this happens, <laughs> I choose peace to have, a, to have a peaceful marriage. I choose to let you think that you're right. <laughs> But it's true because I know that sometimes we can think we want to make a difference to the world and we are together collectively, but it's in our home. It's in our relationships, in our friendships. Be a shalom maker. So I've come to the end of the Beatitudes and I want to encourage us and I want to stir us like Jesus would have with his disciples, that he's calling us to a new way of living that we're not to get stuck in this worldview of what happiness is. Rather, he has called us to live with a happiness that cannot be taken, that cannot fade. And I know that there'd be people here online or people within our world that are facing some places or moments in their lives where they haven't known the ability to call out and put God first or they're mourning a difficult situation in their life. And I'm wondering this morning if we would... Answer the call that Jesus is asking us to step in place for others and we would call out on behalf of them. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to have a moment of worship and I want to encourage you that if one of these areas has spoken to you, that the Holy Spirit is whispering on your heart that maybe I want to be a peace person that brings peace rather than being right all the time or I want to be a person who brings comfort or maybe you're here and you're in need of comfort. I want to encourage you that this is the best place that you can be with fellow believers that are going to lift up the name of Jesus and I believe his presence is going to meet you exactly where you're at. So I want to invite you to stand for a moment and as a team lead us in worship, would we again make 2022 our priority and goal to live a happy life, to follow the instruction of Jesus, to be a people who show the world what things look like when God is in charge. We trust that you are encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life. And we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Melbourne campus. If you're not in Melbourne, then join us for church online, wherever you are in the world. Just head to lifeau.org to stay connected and find out more.